Happy birthday, Mike. Yeah, it's me again. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm alcoholic. Hi. And uh, by the way, Tommy, most people don't sit here on a Friday night and ask themselves, I wonder if I'm alcoholic or not. You know, I, it's just been my experience. Um, yeah, I didn't expect to speak tonight, but, uh, you know, I really didn't expect to find myself in Alcoholics Anonymous either. So I guess uh, I'm, I'm even. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I also like to... I see the show of the hands of uh, the Al-Anon members in the group here. Anybody? Yeah, see, there's a bunch. So, and it's really, truly a family disease. Um, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm going to do about 10 minutes. We have Roman tonight, great speaker, so I'm really excited to hear him. Uh, let's see, I was raised in an alcoholic household. My dad was a daily drinker. Uh, he could be very violent or could be extremely loving. I never really knew what was what, uh, but I knew there was something wrong. You know, you, every, every kid in an alcoholic household knows there's something wrong. And uh, we took a geographical from Minneapolis in 1967, moved to California. My dad had $100 in his pocket, no job, three kids in a U-Haul with my mother. Uh, and um, fast forward, his father dropped dead about 40 days later. He was a worrier. He could have used Al-Anon. Um, but uh, didn't have that awareness. And um, so uh, I, I, you know, I grew up as an AA brat. I was uh, involved in like a lot of the AA parties. I went to Alateen, learned how to smoke weed at Alateen as a kid. <laughs> you know, my sister got arrested one night coming home from an Alateen meeting. I mean, that's just the way it was back then. Uh, we're talking like um, 69s, early 70s, you know, so uh, didn't seem like that big a deal and drinking didn't seem that unusual. And, uh, so my dad got sober. I was about 12 and then my drinking took off. I was 17 and that was the, the magic, uh, time for me, I guess you call it. But, um, and I don't have time in 10 minutes to tell you all the insanity that goes along with drinking, but, uh, I was a blackout drinker, uh, could be very loving and could be very violent, <laughs> you know, followed, followed my father's footsteps um, and uh, would, uh, could not understand why something so pleasurable caused so many people uh, that I love pain. And it's really interesting. We come to Alcoholics Anonymous ripping and tearing through people's lives, and uh, we have the resentments, right? I, you know, now that I'm a little, you know, a lot of, a lot of this is in the rearview mirror for me, so it's a lot clearer now, but when you're in it, it's not. And you know, I just want to reach out to the new people tonight. Uh, this is in a very emotional time of the year uh, for all uh, people uh, affected by the disease of alcoholism, Al-Anon and otherwise. And um, I, uh, I think what the gift that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me, and it's sometimes it's a curse, I've become a, a great observer of myself and uh, so I know that I have a lot of ups and downs this time of year, too, and I'm down the road a ways sober, but that doesn't matter. Uh, so I would just say to you, if you're at odds with your family, and I wouldn't, I, 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 we wouldn't be surprised if that were the case, if you're fairly new, uh, stay close to the program. There's a Alcathon at the 502 Club. There's a lot of meetings that you can attend. And, uh, you know, we will be your family. And that's what, that's, this is the time of year I came in. 
Uh, I saw the holidays coming, and it sounds really dramatic now, but I was suicidal second to second. And um, I just didn't think I was going to make it through the holidays. I had, uh, I had a year dry at one point on my own and drank. And uh, I just saw the holidays coming. I was living, uh, I was renting a room uh, from a buddy of mine um, in Azusa. I was unfit to live in my own home with my, my wife and my two kids at the time. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, uh, I came in on a losing streak like everybody. Um, yet I had a brand new home in Laverne, three cars in the driveway, uh, college education, parents who loved me, uh, white picket fence. I cut each picket by hand, painted them white and with a flag in the front yard, and I wanted to die every day. <laughs> so I'm not sure what, uh, what the disease did to you, but that's what it did to me. And uh, my solution during that year that I was dry was to go to a walk-in theater, because my wife was my higher power, I should mention, but she hated me. So that's a bad place to be too. So I would go to uh, a walk-in theater, and I would sit in the back, and I would just try to shut my head off for that hour or two watching that movie, whatever it was, and just try to get this to stop. I didn't understand this. And I've talked to plenty of Al-Anon people who have this too. And, um, and I think, you know, if, if someone's walking by now and they're not in the program and I go this, they're like, what the hell is he talking about? But I think, uh, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. And um, uh, so uh, anyway, um, that year I took a, I was dry for a year. My first son was born. And that's another thing. I had a lot of really uh, nice things things that should have been real special events in my life that should have been special that just weren't because I was never present. I was always somewhere else uh, in my head. And uh, so I took a trip to Mexico with a, a brother-in-law at the time. And uh, I didn't know this at the time, but I was setting up the drink. The whole time down there I was setting up the drink. And I didn't know this at the time. And uh, I got on a white sandy beach down there on the tip of Baja. And I looked around, and there was a straw hut there. And the mental twist that day was, the book talks about the mental twist. That's what I'm afraid of is the mental twist that precedes the drink. I'm not afraid of that first drink. What I'm afraid of is that mental twist, because once that mental, mental twist hits, I'm drinking. And the mental twist that day was, as I'm on this sunny beach, and I'm, I don't know, 900 miles from home, the thought was, what's this going to hurt? That's what the mental twist was. The mental twist comes in a lot of different forms. You hear a song on the radio. That's a mental twist. Uh, you worked hard. I deserve this. You know, if you were married to her, you'd be drinking too. That's another <laughs> mental twist. And um, the other thing is, you know, I found out that, uh, that I was the bad guy. You know, um, I'm going to get off here real quick, but uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie... Um, Falling Down, yeah. starring Michael Douglas. He's a dry alcoholic. Great movie. He's in a traffic jam. This is not AA approved, by the way, so. But this might give you something to do during the holidays. <laughs> but, so he's in a traffic jam, and, uh, and he's lost his, he worked for the defense department doing something, and that job dried up, and he's stuck in traffic, and he just gets out. And he's on his way to visit his uh, estranged wife, 
even though there's a restraining order, and his daughter. And they don't want him coming, but he's coming anyway. And so he gets out, he walks over the hill, he's in East LA somewhere, and he walks into a liquor store, and he wants to buy up Coke, and the guy says it's, you know, 85 cents, and he says this should only be 50 cents, and he flips out and smashes the store up, and uh, then he goes outside, and he's, he's, he's sitting there, and then these um, um, gang members surround him, and he says, oh, I'm sitting on your soil now, right? And so it just goes on and on like that. He goes to a fast food restaurant, and he looks at the clock, and he wants breakfast, but it's 10.31, and breakfast stops at 10.30. And so he shoots that place up, and it's, you know, and, and that's an alcoholic, just bumping his head all day long. And then I'm going to give the end away, but it's, it's worthwhile seeing if you haven't seen it anyway. But uh, so he, you know, and he's tracking down his wife. Right, his ex-wife and the kid, and they're having a birthday party, and there's kids and there's balloons, and here's this guy, you know, insane. And he uh, ends up, I guess, kidnapping his daughter, his own daughter, and ends up on a pier, and he's surrounded by law enforcement, and they're all around him, and now they've got their guns drawn because they think he's gonna hurt her. And then he comes to the revelation. He finally, it, it dawns on him, he goes, you mean I'm the bad guy? After all that, all these people he's run into, I'm the bad guy. And uh, that, that's kind of what happened to me in the, uh, in the uh, late fall of 90. You know, I realized that uh, I was the problem in a lot of cases. But I do have to tell you, uh, one of the things that really cleared things up for me, and I am a member of Al-Anon too, by the way, uh, was the inventory because I was in my mind I I was at fault in every category when I first came to the program, and my sponsor very lovingly lovingly guided me through the fourth step, and I got to clearly discern what was my part and what was not my part, and what a revelation what a gift, so now all I have to do is go through the day and I've got to keep an eye on my part. And, and trust me, I don't have a diploma, a diploma anywhere. I don't know if anybody does yet. If you have one, I want you as my sponsor. I'll, I'll fire Marcos and I want you. But, uh, you know, I, I keep telling Marcos and anybody I run into that's in program, you know, that I'm a work in progress. And that I have an idea in my mind what God wants me to be. And that's what I, that's my barometer. That's my uh, compass, so to speak. And so... Uh, Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be sober. I'm blessed to be here with friends. I want to thank uh, my friend Coop for coming tonight. Yeah. Um, that, that's a rare sighting. And <laughs> love him to death. And then, of course, Roman. I asked Roman to come tonight. Or actually, he volunteered, and then he ends up speaking, so, which is great. So I, I think we're, we're, we're in for a treat. So anyway, thanks for letting me share. All right. Roman, you're on. Thank you, Mike. Let me go ahead and introduce our main speaker of the evening, Roman. All right. Good evening, everybody. My name is Roman. I'm an alcoholic. Roman. All thanks and praise uh, the Heavenly Father, my understanding, for this gift of recovery, the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Les, thank you for the privilege. Uh, this was not planned, uh, but uh, 
in God's plan, right? Maybe in God's plan. Uh, thank you, Mike, for uh, kicking it off. And again, happy birthday. And uh, that is correct. You know, I, Mike and I talked yesterday. His birthday was yesterday. And we talked for a little bit. And he says, Roman, I'm going to be at uh, Finkbeiner Park. I says, I'll be there. I'll be there saying, you know, watch you take your cake. And um, and then the, the privileges end up giving him, I don't know if it was a cake. I think it was a lighter or something. <laughs> and uh, end up being, being your main speaker. So um, I'm honored. I'm privileged. All glory to God. Uh, wow. Um, welcome to anybody that's new, anybody that's fairly new, or anybody that's on a rebound talk, Alex Anonymous. Welcome home. A shout out to our long timers. Thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing us to hang on to your coattails and dresses uh, to get us through this process one day at a time in Alcoholics Anonymous. So uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today in a short period of time. And I think I should take my phone out so I can watch my time. Excuse me for that. So, uh, spoke about it. I was born and raised in a quiet little town of Ball Heights on the east side of Los Angeles. So uh, anybody else here from Ball Heights? No? Okay. Uh, just checking. Uh, Timmy. <laughs> boy, Timmy. Uh, born to two beautiful human beings that did the best they could with six of us living in a small three-bedroom house with one restroom. And to this day, I have no idea how my parents did it. It's just like, I look back and we just recently sold uh, our parents' home. Uh, my dad's been gone 29 years. My mom recently died uh, this year in the month of April. And it was kind of weird going back there and going through the process of getting rid of the house and uh, just walking through the premises and, and, and seeing how small that house is and how in the heck did we do it? It's amazing. And four girls in one room, my parents in the other room, and my brother and I in the other room, you know, but uh, it's crazy. But we get through it one day at a time. Uh, I have a home group. It's the Tuesday Night Beanbag. And I still call it the Tuesday Night Beanbag. I don't know why I just don't call it the Beanbag Group. There actually was a Sunday Night uh, Beanbag. So uh, that's my home group. It's been my home group for the, for the last 37, almost 38 years. And um, I have a sponsor by the name of Larry from the Pacoima Group. I have co-sponsorship and a gentleman by the name of Hanksy, affectionately known as Hanky Panky. We love Hanky Panky. Please keep him in your prayers and keep Larry in your prayers as well. We're both going through health issues. So what happens with us when we get up in age, I suppose. And one sobriety date, and that's May the 5th of 1986, and for that I'm eternally grateful. Eternally grateful one day at a time. My sponsor Larry talks about it. It's all about today. It's all we got, one day at a time. So in a short period of time, what it was like, it was crazy, it was madness. Uh, I'm going to take you back to the summer of 1967. Yeah, we less remember 67. Hell does, too, and some others. But uh, we are hanging out at that street corner, Mike, you know, uh, sucking up on some white port mixed with pre-sweetened Kool-Aid, you know, shake it up, wine cooler, I guess, you know, and uh, that's how it all started. You know, we think it was a matter of budget. You know, what we got, you know, 50 cents, so short dog, you know, so that stuff will make you sick. And that was my, uh, you know, beginning experiences of uh, getting drunk. 
And it didn't matter the, oh my gosh, I'm not going to do this again. You know, the next week or so, we're back down there sucking up on some Thunderbird with a little lame squeeze and Muscatel, Silver Sand, Logan David 2020, also known as Mad Dog 2020. And my favorite was Pink, Pig and Pink Ripple. That was my favorite. That was in the early stages, man. We were kids, 15 years of age. And you're right, Mike, we're out there in the corner protecting territory. To this day, I have no idea what we were protecting, but we're out there, right? And uh, as time goes on, I'm a product of the 60s, you know, and uh, as the old guy once said, if you remember the 60s, you probably weren't there. And they had a whole bunch of stuff out there to make you go up, make you go down, make you go sideways, and then we had that dirt weed. Remember that dirt weed? Not like the stuff we got today, and not like the chemicals out in the neighborhoods that we got today, killing our communities. But uh, there's a whole lot of stuff out there that got us in a lot of, a lot of trouble. And uh, I truly believe, looking back in life, by the time I was 19 years of age, I was drinking alcoholically. I, I, I don't know if there was, uh, well, of course, it was experimental stages, but I don't know if we ever got to the social stage. We definitely jumped right into the habitual and abusive stages and then, you know, become, become uh, addicted to alcohol and hence alcoholism. So, uh, gosh almighty, I remember the concerts, the backyard parties at Infinitum, like the big book talks about, you know, Bill Wilson he was a keen individual, such an intellect, and then him and his comrades putting that book, book together. And we have to remember, Bill Wilson was three and a half years sober when he wrote that book. Three and a half years sober, it's crazy. At 37 years uh, age of sobriety, I don't think I can write a book to this day, so, so I'm not going to. So anyways, um, as time goes on, uh, let me see, uh, eight years of parochial education at Santa Isabel, and then uh, hopped over to Salesian High School for a year. I got booted out of there and ended up my high school education at Roosevelt High School out there in the city of Bull Heights. And, uh, <coughs> Graduated in 1970, in 1971, I was married. We were married, my wife and I were married. We did it the right Roman Catholic way. We, we, we make babies and then we get married, right? <laughs> so uh, we popped out two kids, man, back to back, you know, within 14 months, we had, we had two sons. And <clears throat> as I look back in life, I remember watching my wife doing the right thing, and that is make the best of what we got, you know. And I don't know about you guys, but at 19, 20 years of age, I'm just warming up, just warming up. Uh, so, hence or nevertheless, um, I remember working at Oscar Mayer and Company, and uh, couldn't wait for Bill th Beer Thirty to get over to the to the lounges, to the you know the, the beer bars. Uh, that was our lounge, you know, basically a beer bar, and. Uh, at age 20 years of uh, age, at age 20, I got drafted into the United States Army. Now, here's the kicker, guys. At age 20, you know, I'm trying everything in my darnest to get out of this event of going into the military. I remember going to the draft centers and UCLA draft board, and you know, I tell him, telling these guys, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a parent, man. I'm a working class citizen. I can't go serve in the military. And I remember this one counselor saying something like, Roman, something good's going to come, come out of this. And, uh, you know, I had no, no um, choice of the matter but to say, okay, here I go, you know, whether I wanted to or not. But of all things, what do they make me in the United States Army? A military policeman. Can you dig it? <laughs> I know it's nuts, man. There I was, about 120 pounds soaking wet with them buggy eyes, you know, and 
give you this big old gun belt with everything but the kitchen sink, and then on top of that, they give you this big old billy club, and then a big old giant pistol. I'm trying to maintain balance. I'm going to arrest you, you know, like like the Barney Five of East L.A. You know? as, as the kids are are wondering, who's Barney Five? You know, Andy Griffin, me TV, check it out. <laughs> Again, one bullet he put in his pocket, and that was basically me in a nutshell, just nutty man, crazy and. 20 years of age, I'm sticking needles in my arm. You know, and it's a big family secret, and I'm off and running with that adventure. So um, it was out in Georgia. It was my uh, uh, advanced individual training for the military policeman trade or skill, if I may. My permanent duty station became Fort MacArthur in San Pedro, California, my own backyard, you know, maybe too close to home. Nevertheless, I got through that process, you know, and we got through that process. You weren't even in my lives yet, but I know you were over there with me, you know, and these floating angels above us that were watching over us. And I get through that process honorably, and I get out <clears throat> back to work, and somebody starts talking about VA benefits. I go, hey, I got VA benefits. And I find myself at LA Trade Tech learning the HVAC trade, heating, uh, ventilation, air conditioning trade. I ended up getting a job at Lockheed Aeronautical Systems out in Burbank. And in between that time, in 1977, in my freshman year at L.A. Trade Tech, I'm 25 years of age, and I find myself at Rancho Los Amigos Hospitals in Liverwood, you know, for about a week. And I was suffering from hepatitis, and they didn't have an alphabet to it. They didn't have hepatitis A, B, or C, which is hepatitis, you know, liver disease. And I find myself in his Liverwood in uh, Rancho Los Amigos Hospital in the city of Downey, with, and I remember doctors telling me, he says, Roman, you know, if you want to live, you got to stop drinking the way you're drinking and using the way you're using. But I don't ever recall them mentioning Alcoholics Anonymous. Gosh, how I wish they did. But it is what it is. And uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I did hear that part where he said, you're going to die if you continue to drink. So I stopped drinking for about six months. And uh, what happened for me is I started, I started smoking that wacky tobacco and you know what happens when you smoke weed you get thirsty right so i'm off and that's right and so i'm off and running and uh wow lord have mercy the madness the craziness that the big book describes my poor wife you know nervous as can be and my children scared as can be and they didn't know who was going to walk into that door mike you're absolutely correct a hundred thousand percent correct you know is it going to be dr jekyll or mr hyde but uh, just bad, bad memories uh, behind all those adventures of being out in the, in the bars, you know, and, and drinking up a storm and thinking that everything was okay. And the reason being is that working at Lockheed, and now, you know, we got a home in Azusa. There it is, bingo, Azusa. And two cars in the garage and supposedly stuff, so how can I be an alcoholic, see? In 1980, you know, I ran into Larry, this, this man, Larry, that I was talking about. <clears throat> he would talk to me about living clean and sober one day at a time. I don't ever remember him talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, but he had those bumper stickers. You know, he had, easy does it, this too shall pass. I knew he was a man of God, but I didn't know he was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Back in 1980, Larry had nine years of sobriety. What he was doing is he was 12-stepping me. And I didn't know that, you know, and I continued the drunkenness, you know, the craziness and the madness and uh, to, ex to now experience the symptoms of alcoholism, not the textbook stuff that we study in AA. I'm talking about the two o'clock in the morning escapades. I'm talking about the drunk driving, the so blackouts, that wrecking that car one more time. 
appearing in front of that judge one more time, flipping out them greenbacks. Just a little setback in life, my wife would talk about. So I wonder. And uh, in 1982, uh, I remember... Uh, being at a function at uh, Cal State LA, my brother was working there. They had a beer bash. They were serving free alcohol. I'm there, <clears throat> and I'm, uh, I'm, I was. I, I hear later that I was asked to leave, uh, so I left in a blackout. I'm on the freeway heading back home, and I get pulled over by the highway patrolman. Back then, there was two riders. You know, one was running my place. You know, was asking me questions like, "Where are you going? Where are you coming from?" Etc. You've been drinking tonight? Just a couple. And, uh, you know, where you headed? He says, I'm headed to uh, my home in Azusa. He goes, uh, what off-ramp do you use? I go, hello, Azusa Avenue. He goes, well, you passed that five miles ago. He goes, what freeway are you on? I says, uh, 10. He goes, are you sure? I go, the 60? He goes, the 60, get out of the car. Spending the night at San Dimas City Jail, you know, one more time, you know. We never got the, past the drunk tank. You know, I don't have a... Uh, penitentiary story. I, I never lived in a cardboard box. You know, again, that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde syndrome, living that double life. But uh, here I am sitting at San Diego City Jail. Uh, the end of July of 1982, my wife's birthday and nine months pregnant with our third child. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. And you'd think that would have done it. But the madness continues, and now it's early February of 1984. I'm, I'm at a little place called JJ's on Azusa. Some of you guys remember JJ's. And uh, I was sitting behind the bar and having a little drinking poo, and next thing I know, I'm slipping into a blackout. How do I know, you ask? Well, the last thing I remember was being behind that bar. Next thing that comes into play, I'm on the freeway toward, heading toward Los Angeles. And where I was going, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, it was going out to 5th and Main out in Skid Row to hang out with the winos. That's where alcoholism took me. And, and Bill Wilson talks about it. He talks about seeking lower companionship. And for the longest time, I thought I was the lower companion. You know, but that's where alcoholism took me. You know, I, I, I couldn't wait to get out to Skid Road and party with the winos. And it was like a carnival out there. And I was having a lot of fun. And then, of course, when it was all said and done, I go back home to my nice soft pillow, my beautiful home, etc. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde syndrome. So, what happens after that? 1984. Um, I was on my way to, the, to, to Los Angeles to hang out with the winos. I'm stamping out of this blackout and um, I'm realizing that I'm missing my transition on one of the freeways there, right about Ball Heights. And uh, two things went through my head. One was, uh, hey, dude, don't, don't worry about it. Just pass, go ahead to the next exit, make a U-turn and get on about your ways. But the alcoholic brain's telling me, we can make it, we can make it. <laughs> Boom, right into that freeway railing. One more time, wrecking that car. I'm a bloody mess. And what's the first thing we do when we wreck our cars? Try to get the heck out of there, right? Car wasn't going anywhere. It's like an accordion, steam coming out of the radiator. Like, radiator and I'm a bloody mess. So what's the second best thing that we do? Oh, we jump out in the middle of the freeway, start waving to the traffic, somebody help me, like a crazy <laughs> lunatic that we are. And it seems like moments later, paramedics would show up and conjure me to get back of that ambulance, get me over to L.A. County General Hospital, pass me on, put me back together, like Humpty Dumpty, <clears throat> and they let me go. One more time, they let me go, no questions asked. And I'm sitting on that corner by the uh, right, uh, state of Marengo Streets, for the one who knows that area, and the first thing that catches my attention is these two fine gentlemen across the street drinking another jug wrapped up in a paper sack. 
and I was thirsty. So I approached them and I asked them, would you mind sharing that bottle with me? And there we were, the three of us, you know, arm over shoulder, hollering at the moon, having a good old time. And that's what we do. When it's all said and done, I'd uh, walk over to the nearest phone booth, call up my brother Hector, who might have been the greatest enabler in the world, codependent, or maybe he was just a good brother. Pick me up, you know. Anytime, anywhere, he would pick me up and get me home. Don't be food, how to hear it all the way home, Al. You know, when's it going to stop? When's it going to end? I didn't know. I didn't know I had a problem. But that next morning with that mean wine hangover, one more time I started to wonder if I had a drinking problem. It was the last time I got drunk. Well, you heard my sobriety date. What happened for me is I'm off and running with that other stuff, you know. And that bottle kicked my butt. That bottle kicked my butt, and I'm not going back to that bottle, but I'm off and running doing that other stuff. And May the 14th of 1985, I'm strung out like a bed dog, and the doctor sticks me over at the Long Beach place called Pacific Health Systems, uh, where I was introduced to all you beautiful human beings and the tall steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's my introductory to Alcoholics Anonymous. I went through a seven-day detox program. They were talking to me about uh, 21 days of rehabilitation. I told them I was busy. Uh, then, they got, then they introduced this uh, daytime program where I was able to come in at 9 in the morning and go home at uh, 4 in the afternoon for the next 21 days. I could do that. That's like a vacation. But we know what that means, to be alcoholic. But somehow or another, Gary, at the end of that trek, I was able to put six days together without using. And that might have been my first moment of clarity. And I'll tell you who my real Eskimo was. My real Eskimo was not Larry or any of you guys. It was my wife. And you know why? Because she didn't kick me out. God only knows what would have happened if she would have kicked me out. I would have been off and running like a big dog. You might have had another speaker up here this evening. And uh, I might have not made it. You know, because uh, we know how it's like out there, guys and girls. We know what it's like out there. But nevertheless, uh, I left that facility. <clears throat> they told me to pick three meetings. Now, if they said five meetings or seven meetings, I would have picked five or seven meetings. But they said pick three meetings. <clears throat> I picked a Tuesday night beanbag, Wednesday night speakers meeting in Azusa, and a Friday night speakers meeting at the 502 Club. Later on, I picked up the four-speaker meeting at the 502 <laughs> Club and the early bird participation meeting on Burbank. It was perfect from work to the meeting to home. And I did that for 120 days to the day. And you warned me, you said, Roman, don't think or don't drink, no matter what. But I started to think. And what I started to think was I was different, and that it's going to be different this time. And I can do this stuff on my own. <clears throat> on macho power, right? All it takes is willpower. You can do it. But anywho, uh, one thing led to another. I'm off and running, and now it's April the 29th of 1986. I'm facility called Treatment Centers of America. What a pleasant sound to that, huh? Out in Panorama City, wondering what the heck went wrong. I'm sitting, standing in the middle of my room, my hands in my pocket, my head's down in the emotion of shame and disgust. You know, when out of my pocket came out a little bag of weed, you know. So I was smoking that stuff in the bathroom, showing up to group, 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 and for the next six days, I wake up, it's May the 5th, 1986. I call up my little brother, he's a great neighbor, maybe codependent, maybe just a good brother. Hey, Hector, this is where I'm at, bring me something. He did, when I was at Rancho Los Amigos, he brought me so much stuff in there, I was getting more loaded in that hospital, I was on the streets. Picked me up any street, any hour of the morning, every, any street corner. But this time he said, hey, Roman, I'm done, click. Ah, but we're king, you know, plan B was Steve Wagner, my good buddy I met at LA Trade Tech and we're working at Lockheed together. I said, hey, Steve Marino, uh, he's in Burbank up in Panorama City, 20 minutes away possibly. 
I said, Steve, this is where I'm at. I need to get loaded. Bring me something. Steve's reply was, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Sucker never showed up. <laughs> Third phone call I made was Larry. And Larry was there within moments. You know, he got my nose into the book. I, I, I dumped my fifth step in that hospital, my inventory. So I had done my first three steps in that first facility. And I remember telling the counselors that. I said, I don't need to work those three steps. I already did them. I said, great, here's an inventory. So I, I did it. And I dumped it right with, with Larry in that facility. So my sobriety day, that's how my sobriety came about. May the 5th, 1986. Cinque de Mayo, orale. But anyways, uh, so we're having a lot of fun in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm following Larry around like a puppy dog. All these meetings out in the San Fernando Valley. And I'm blessed with the San Gabriel Valley meetings. And uh, Wow. That God shots commence to happen, you know, and uh, a string of God shots, you know. And one was in my second year of sobriety, I wanted to go to college to become a drug and alcohol counselor, what else? So I show up over at Cal State LA, because that's what I know, and uh, run into a buddy of mine, Duty, and Duty says, Roman, what are you doing on campus? I says, I'm going to be a drug and alcohol counselor. He says, Why don't you get a degree? It'll open up more doors for you. And my reply was, on duty. I'm 36 years old. I can't compete with these youngsters. He goes, ah, oh, Hector says you go to that A&A stuff. Don't they do it one day at a time? So I did. I, I, I was introduced to a beautiful man by the name of Dr. Marty Broadwin. He took me right under his wing and got me started in his bachelor's degree. That was in 1988. Uh, in 1990, I run into a buddy of mine at the 502 Club that I hadn't seen in 20 years. 20 years we met each other. We were six years old. We did our eight years at Santa Isabel, again, we went here at Salesian, our three years at Roosevelt High School, and about an eighth of the semester at East L.A. Junior College, and that's when he went off to the Air Force and I got married and started raising kids. We lost contact for 20 years, and 20 years later, we're on bumping into this guy, meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous at the 502 Club Friday night speaker meeting. My compadre Victor, he was about as long sober as you are, Michael, 33 years right there, bing, bit of boom, bit of bomb, or something like that. I don't know how you guys do it, but anywho, uh, as time goes on, in 19, that was in 1990, in 1991, my kid's running amok. Uh, he's, he decides to join a gang, and so I give him the boot, and I, he gives me the old salute, and uh, he's, he's gone, man, for about four years, from sugar shock to sugar shock to sugar shock to sugar shock. Let me tell you about a parent's nightmare. It's picking up that paper in the mornings and hoping your son or daughter don't make that front page. Turning on the TV and watching the news and hoping your son and daughter don't make the, you know, the top of the news. And I was crying and dying in Alcoholics Anonymous behind this kid, you know. In 1992, my dad's, you know, drinking up a storm. He's getting really bad with doing intervention. And I hear it here and I see it here. I see families getting sober together. Michael talked about it. You know, I see family members getting sober together. And I wanted no different for me. I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted father and son in A&A. &A. And so I remember... We're, we did an intervention on my pops in 1992, and uh, in 1994, when I was to graduate with that bachelor's degree and march around that track with Captain Gone, that was the day we buried my dad, who died from alcoholism. Again, he's been gone for 29 years. In 1995, we get this call from this kid that you know decided to join a gang at the age of 15, at the age of nine, uh, just short of his 19th birthday, was booted out of the house. We get a call from this kid telling us that this is where I'm at and I need to see you talk to somebody I love. And I remember raising my hand and I said, let me go talk to him. And I know where I get it from. 
and I went to go see this kid behind a big old glass about that thick on a black telephone. I was able to share two things that you guys are teaching me to this day. I said, Jesse, there's hope for people like you and I. Surrender to win. And now you guys in this area know my son, Jesse, who just recently in this past summer celebrated 28 years of sobriety in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we get that, I got the wish, man, father and son in A&A. You can find us in the front seat, front row at the Friday night speaker meeting at the Beanbag Group on Tuesday nights. And we do a lot of fun stuff together. Matter of fact, we're going to drive out Sunday morning to Pocoima together, taking a meeting up there, hook up with the, with the, with the gang up there. But... Man, what an absolute crazy blessing. You know, I couldn't attend that big graduation ceremony. I was able to attend a Friday night private ceremony where uh, the professors were saying uh, to me that, uh, you know, they were sorry to hear about my dad, but we want you to attend this Friday night ceremony. It's really important for you to be there with your family and, and participate in this graduation ceremony. Hence, you've also been uh, nominated and selected for the Student of the Year Award. So I was able to do that and, and celebrate with my family on that beautiful uh, ceremony. And also at that point, uh, Marty got up to the podium and said, and also Roman's been nominated and selected for the master's degree program. I go, huh? So in June of 1997, I got to march that track conferring to a master's degree in rehabilitation and counseling. And how does that happen? How does that happen? A little Chicano from the barrio, hanging out the corners, drinking that bottle of wine to, uh, to marching around that track, conferring to a master's degree in rehabilitation counseling. It's uh, through a power of a mighty, mighty God, a promo called Alcoholics Anonymous and beautiful people like you. No doubt, that's how it happens. So much, so much has happened. My time is out. Can you believe it? It's already 6.55. We're having all kinds of fun. And woohoo! yay for Alcoholics Anonymous. Real quickly, you know, in the words of Don Babb, I love you, Mike. I love your entire family. You know that, my brother. In the words of Don Babb, I live a glorious life today, but not problem-free. Shit happens. But I want to give a shout-out to my cousin, Tommy G. Tommy! I love you, Tommy. And he knows exactly when I was here. What did he say? About a year or nine months ago, he says, because... That day he came to hear, to hear me share, and he, he, he stuck around. And now he's really involved with this group. And uh, Don and Brenda, Mike, Timmy, you know I love you, man. There's so many. Fernando, Al, Gary. Where's Jerry? Did Jerry leave? Yes. Huh? I'm going to kick his. Well, anyways. Uh, what happened? Somebody, he left? Oh, I'll talk to him later. Tina, what's up, Tina? There's so many of you here. Les, I love you guys. I and mean, I didn't call your name. Please know that you are loved. Thank you. God bless you. I truly love you all. All right. Thank you, Roman. Mike, again, for your shares. We appreciate that. Okay. So I am your stand-in grapevine rep for the evening. Um, if you guys are interested in a grapevine, they're great to read, great to take to hospitals, um, visiting prisons, even leaving it in a doctor's office is always good. Whenever we get stuck on stupid, great little articles and shares in here that, you know, can, can save lives at times. Um, so if anyone's interested in one, Which like, ones are they? we got AA in the military. So we got any military vets. That's, you know, one person was sharing about that. And also coming back, remember to share powerful stories about the hell of drinking again and what helped them stay. 
Anyone interested in any of these? Any takers? We um, we cycle them through, so you take them, read them, and then bring them back. That way we can distribute them to others. Anyone interested? One, one, one twice. No, got two of them. No. Somebody take them, sir. Next time. I'm I'm keeping one. All right. I'm just letting you know now. I'm I'm taking this one. So the military one. Anyone? I'll take that one. Okay. There we go, Roman. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. So one for you and one for myself. You're doing thank a you. great job, my brother. <laughs> All right, thank you. Um, now, the two, two, two. Um, raffle tickets, right? Raffle tickets. Tickets, can't forget about that. Tina, if you'd like to come help me okay, with the tickets, I would much appreciate it. Sure, sure. All right. All right, let's go ahead and get our tickets out, everyone. I'll let Tina go ahead and pull the numbers. So listen for our numbers, all right? Okay. The last nu- last four numbers is 7322. 7322. Two books, guys, two books. Making Amends, Finding a New Freedom, and Beginner's Book, Getting and Staying Sober in AA. 7322. 7322. Going once, twice. Seven, three, two. It's a red ticket. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay let, let me pick another one. Uh, Th- this one, I'll pick a white ticket. There we go. Okay. Narrow down Zero the search. nine one two. Zero nine. Bring your flashlight. The one with the white tickets. When the mariachis start, there we go, it's Ron. time to start celebrating. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so now, oh, Ron, which one Check like? his ticket. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, we got <laughs> you it. You got it, Ron. Which one? There we go. He's the only one with white <laughs> tickets. <laughs> okay. Okay, one more. One more. One more. Let, let me pick one more. Come on. Let's get a good one here. Somebody that needs it. We'll read it. 7267. 7267. Seven two six seven. Anyone? Right here. Right. Bravo, there we go, Roman. Yay! Show to me and get a great. There, you can work with the newcomer. There you go. <laughs> we love you. Thank you for awesome. sharing. Thank you guys. All right. Let me throw these away. Sure, sure. They, thank you so much for supporting our raffle each week, and thank you for coming, and thank you for bringing something for the group to share each each week as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you the to the cook. books. Yes, Tommy. Oh, the cooks, deuce. those that help set up everything. Everyone plays a part in this. It's not one individual. It's it's a fellowship. Everyone has a group. So thank you guys all for yeah. contributing. I do appreciate it. Um, can I have a volunteer to read the promises? You guys have heard me enough this evening. I want to offer someone else. There we go, Tim. Since Jerry, yeah, Tim. <laughs> since Jerry left early. I know. Thank you, Tim. The what? Tim alcoholic. Hi, yeah. Tim. The promise is if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we okay. will be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see our, how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. 
We will lose interest in self in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook on upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Work, work, work. Work, work, work. After a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of these rooms, zooms, and parks, and the children, the innocent children caught in the crossfires, please join me in the, it says the Lord's Prayer, but that's too long, so I'm going to say the uh, serenity, serenity prayer. Yeah, that one. Right. The serenity prayer. God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm only coming back, of course. Don't, don't forget.